Hey, welcome back to the Not Quite Compassion Podcast. This is episode 20, entitled, It's Not About the Chicken. I decided to deviate a little bit from um, the Beatitudes. We got two left, three left, three left. And uh, I wanted to take a little break and jump into something. I, I, I've been, the sun's out again today, and uh, my youngest, Sawyer, he, uh, I bought him his first baseball mitt. And uh, I don't know a thing about baseball at all, <laughs> but so. Um, but anyways, we're learning it together, and he's got the kid's got a cannon though. I'll give him that. So we've been out outside um, playing catch quite a bit. Uh, but I wanted to talk about. Uh, I want to go a little old school here and just kind of share a story from the Bible and some thoughts about it, and then call it a day. Sound good? Um, and I've mentioned I've referenced this story a bunch of different times. And uh, it's my favorite story in the whole Bible, so I figured I should probably just give a whole episode to the to the uh, particular passage. And it's John chapter twenty one. It's the last chapter in the book of John, which is this whole um, book of four different kinds of books that that kind of go through the life of Jesus. And um, in John, he tends to really focus on this one kind of one of the main characters is this guy Peter, who is kind of Jesus's best friend. They met. Years ago, on this beach where Jesus gave him like this miraculous catch of fish because he was a fisherman, and it's like this like winning lottery ticket, and Peter just um, he decides to just leave it there to rot and follows Jesus uh, because he just thinks he might actually offer something better, and he did. I mean, their your life together was full of adventure and miracles and storms. And near-death experiences. <laughs> I mean, and, and and above all, though, I think Peter was able to see this totally better way of being human by the one that called himself the Son of Man. And it's after everything's gone terrible, from bad to worse, that John 21 picks up. This is after Jesus had been arrested and crucified. He died on a cross and was buried. And he predicted it was all going to happen. And even worse, he predicted, he told Peter, listen, you're going to sell me out. And Peter's like, what are you talking about? I would never do that. And uh, and sure enough, he does. I mean, these guards at one point go up to, G- up, to, up to Peter and they're like, as Jesus is being tortured, they're like, hey, we saw you with this guy, right? And Peter's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never seen this guy before. And so in Jesus's greatest point of need, Peter acts as if he doesn't even know him. He's betraying him. And then there's rumors that Jesus is back from the grave, right? I'll be back. <laughs> That's an old school reference for some of you. A little, <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> and, it, and it's in the midst of that, that that Peter's just feeling like, what in the world? What do I even do from here? Because he, he had this picture of what life was going to look like. And it was going to be up and to the right, you know, um, full of success, great ROI, return on my investments of Jesus. And we're going we're gonna to usher in the kingdom and we're going to get right with these oppressors of the Romans. And none of that happened. It just utterly failed in his eyes. The leader of his whole rebellion just died quietly, in fact. <laughs> Didn't even put up much of a fuss. And his followers are scattered. And it's that point in John that um, 21 that Peter just looks at his friends. And he's like, I'm going, I'm going out to fish. Because that's what he knew for most of his life. And he's going back to what's comfortable. And that's what we all do. I mean, that's where we gravitate towards. That's our default is we go to what we know, what we're comfortable with, what's predictable, 
when we've had a setback or disappointment, that's that's always where we return, and yet that's never where you'll find Jesus. It's not. Like I I find Jesus when I wherever I'm not looking, <laughs> like in the margins of my life and of my world, in the minorities and uh, the overlooked areas that I would never expect to see him. That's where he shows up. And he calls me to anything but comfort, anything but safety. Uh, don't let, you know, our, our nice, comfortable churches um, confuse us. Like, he invites us into a, um, a reckless kind of love. I love this quote. It says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs are men and women who have come alive. And I really think that Jesus is an expert at making us come alive. In fact, he said that. He says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. He taught us what it looks like to be fully alive and fully human, to fully wake up to the reality that we are living. The kingdom of God is actually here. But it's so easy just to scroll through a screen, you know, or binge another show on Netflix. I, I get it. It is so damn easy. But I don't know about you, but I don't feel restful after those those binges of Netflix or scrolling through screens. I, I, I feel less human. I, I'm convinced that if I'm going to find Jesus, he's not going to be where it's comfortable. And so Jesus is on this beach and he's watching Peter and his buddies out fishing. And he, he's from the beach, and he tells him, he goes, he just calls, he's like, hey, throw, why don't you try throwing the nets on the other side of the boat? Because he can tell they haven't caught anything all night. And remember, I told you, that's where they met, in the same kind of situation, like about three years earlier. <laughs> and so it's like deja vu, because they do, which is just weird that they were listening to some rando on the beach. <laughs> like some homeless guy on the beach is like, hey, draw the other side. He's like professional fishermen. Now, granted, they haven't been fishing a whole lot lately, but still, I would listen, they do. They throw, and then they get this miraculous catch of fish. It's the same. I mean, it's suddenly just the, the synapses fire and it clicks in their minds. And they're like, it's the Lord. That's Jesus. And Peter freaks out, understandably so. Because remember where he last saw him? He acted like he didn't exist. And so Peter, upon realizing this, just jumps into the water and starts swimming. He can't even wait for the for the for all the fish to be brought in. The winning lottery ticket doesn't matter at all to him anymore. It's not even on his radar. And he just starts swimming. And I just, I can't help but wonder what that swim was like, you know? <laughs> as, you're, as you're like awkwardly swimming out of your comfort zone to probably the most dangerous place on earth. At the foot of the risen God of the universe that you sold out at its greatest point. <laughs> like that's just, <laughs> that's gotta be, you know? And, and so... But there, but I, but however, there's got to be something about Jesus that made Peter think that he could make that swim in the first place and not just get zapped with lightning. You know, like he doesn't fall into this trend that somehow God's mad at him because he gets to the beach and, it, and it's ever tried like climbing out of the water onto it's just there's no there's no uh, <laughs> really like suave way to do that and uh, and he sees. Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, um, let's have some breakfast. Like, I didn't, I didn't see that one coming, you know? 
like of all the reactions i could see uh you know i told you so i could see uh um hey you're gonna be i'm disappointed in you or hey you know we're, we're gonna set you up with some accountability group <laughs> but not let's have some breakfast and even before that, what's kind of cool, it's subtle, but he actually tells um, Peter Hayes, like, hey, bring some of the fish that you guys just caught. I know it's like a small thing, but I have found when people have made really awful mistakes and they feel like they're lower than low and they don't feel very human, one of the most dignifying things we can do to them is not do everything for them. Like... One of the best ways to dignify someone is to allow them to contribute. Bring us some of that fish you just caught, Peter. I need your help. I mean, right? Isn't that... Just the other day, there's this um, guy that's registered as homeless, experiencing homelessness in our community. And he was coming in to get some services. He needed to figure out where he's going to sleep that night. And he needs some um, clothes and things. And, <laughs> and so he's sitting in our lobby at the food bank and, and meanwhile all these new volunteers are coming in because i have this like new volunteer orientation i need to run uh it's like a i take people on a tour and give them about a 20 minute like just kind of this is who we are and this is why we do what we do and blah 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 and and this guy um we'll call him bob is is uh is sitting there and um and he's like he's like hey can i can i join and uh and at first I was like, hey, well, actually, I think you're waiting for services. I, I didn't, honestly, I didn't want to get in the way of that. And, but then our, our, our director, Corey, she's great. She was like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> so, so Bob just joins us <laughs> in this orientation and he, he was great. He was fantastic. He contributed. He has asked, asked really great questions. And then the very next day, sure enough, he just shows up and wants to volunteer. And, and I, I'm not going to tell him he can't. I'm not going to say, oh, that's our job to, to wash your feet. You can't wash our feet. I mean, it, like, you know, it, it, this, it, one of the most dignifying things we can offer to someone is the ability to contribute, to ask for their help. So they're, because they've maybe grown tired of always asking for help. I'm mean, just the other day, I, I had a really difficult lunch with an old friend. His wife's leaving him after uh, many, many years of being married and it was a really hard conversation really hard to just see the pain that he's going through but at the end of it um, I went to grab the check and he's like no let me and I man I just I tell you I it was front of mind to me it was like you know what like let him pay like we, we can't in our effort to help people sometimes we do everything for them and sometimes the very thing they need is for them to be able to contribute instead of us i know it's a small thing but i think it makes all the difference sometimes and, and maybe in, in churches we've been taught that our mistakes somehow make us ineligible right for service and i would say no that actually makes you relatable for service like that's actually what God's looking for are not perfect people. He's looking for broken people and no one wants to be a charity case forever. So Peter bring some, some of the fish you caught. And, and so he goes and he has breakfast and I didn't see that one coming. Like God has been detected, depicted to me in so many different kinds of ways, but not a God that would make breakfast for his friends. You know, <laughs> I've heard of a vengeful God, 
or a, um, a disappointed God or a distant God, but I have never thought of a God that would make breakfast. But this is the crucial part, guys. This is where I, I really, really think it's powerful. Because remember, there's still an elephant in the room, right? Like, like, like Peter still sold him out. That's the facts. That's what happened, right? And in, in order for reconciliation to occur, that's got to be dressed somehow. And so sure enough, after breakfast gets over, the Bible says that Jesus and Peter go for a walk on the beach. And it's on this walk that Jesus turns to Peter and he just says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him that question three different times to kind of pair with the three different times that Peter denied even knowing Jesus. So Peter knows what he's getting at. But what I think is so important is the question that Jesus asked, do you love me? Let me explain. The other night, um, Laura and I, we were, uh, I, I just made dinner with the boys. Uh, I made some like chicken and it was a chicken salad. Yeah, it was a chicken Caesar salad. It was sous vide chicken too. It was actually really good. Um, I should do a whole episode on the amazingness of the sous vide. But <laughs> anywho, so we're all eating chicken and, uh, and salad and it's great. Nice little um, spring meal. And Sawyer's tired. He's had a long day at school. I think it was a Friday. So we're just all kind of a little tired and cranky. And at, at one point, um, and I remember Laura is just like, we both had worked long weeks. And um, and at one one point, because Sawyer was so tired, um, she um, pops him up on her knee and she feeds him his like last piece of chicken. And I remember that like upset me because I'm like, hey, my boy seven, like, isn't that, oh, wow, I just caught that. Isn't that interesting? I call him my boy as opposed to our that was, oh, that's telling, foreshadowing. Anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> so so, she's got him on his knee and she feeds him chicken. And, uh, and our boy, uh, <laughs> and I'm just upset. I'm, a little, I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm frustrated because I'm like, hey, he's seven. What in the world? Like, why are we feeding him like he's a little kid? He's not a little kid. And so later on, uh, we're doing, I'm doing dishes and we're, we're talking and I'm just, she can tell I'm upset and I'm like, Hey, what the heck? And why would you feed him on this, on your lap? Like we just don't, we need to not baby him and he's the youngest. And we start kind of getting this argument uh, over the fact that she, whether or not she should have fed Sawyer chicken or not. And we're kind of just talking about it and how it's like, it's a situational thing and we're all tired and she's making excuses and I'm getting more and more frustrated. And then she says this, she says, I just, um, I've just felt really guilty lately because I've been working so much and I just wanted to connect with him. So that's why I did it. It's because I felt guilty for being gone. And it was like in that moment that the whole dynamic of, of our argument changed. We're not talking about chicken anymore. And then that freed me to, to tell her like, okay, well, I think the reason why I'm so upset about this is is because um, I've always had direction, like a clear idea of where I'm headed. If if you study strength finders, one of these personality tests, my top one has always been futuristic. Like that's where my brain goes all the time. And for the first time in my life, I don't really know what's next. Like I'm getting this degree and, and I don't have any idea why I'm doing this. <laughs> I just, I feel... There's times I feel pretty stinking lost. And so when I feel out of control and I can't control anything, I get really controlling of the things I can control, like the fact that you shouldn't sit them on your lap and feed them chicken. And and so I'm feeling inadequate and insecure and she's feeling guilty and, and none of it has to do at all with the damn chicken. 
And it wasn't until we were able to just talk about what really mattered, to be genuinely vulnerable with each other, to get past the peripheral, those like things that we kind of keep on the edge to keep us safe. We'd so much rather talk about chicken, wouldn't we? Like we'd rather talk about how the dishes aren't done or how you didn't call me back or you made this comment online or or you didn't your email I mean just all these things that like are all the peripheral. And 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 I here's the deal is I, I think the reason why we stayed at that peripheral, the reason why we keep to just talking about the chicken it's because we know if we open ourselves up and be really vulnerable and talk about what's really behind it, that that leaves us open to the possibility of being hurt. And that's why I think Jesus' words are so powerful. Peter, do you love me? Because Peter could have just said, no, I don't love you. This isn't working out. You're not who I thought you were. I'm out. I mean, but Jesus knows in order for reconciliation to happen, he's got to put himself in a place that's yet even more vulnerable than the cross. And that's how reconciliation always occurs. That's how intimacy is developed. It's always to the doorway of vulnerability. There is no intimacy without vulnerability in any of our relationships and certainly with God as well. It's not about the chicken. So what's the question that's behind all that? I don't know what it is for you. For Laura, it was guilt. For me, it was inadequacy and insecurity, a lack of direction. But so much of the elephants in the room of our relationships, these people that we love dearly, maybe it's a spouse or your kid or a coworker, these people that we're close to, they, those elephants stay in the room and intimacy is stunted And we don't have any actual real genuine friendships because we just keep talking about the damn chicken. And Jesus doesn't. And that's why they're able to find reconciliation. And I think that's what he wants from us. Like That's what he's teaching us, to be fully human, is to be in relationship with each other, to have meaningful, whole, transformational relationships with one another where we stop talking about the damn chicken all right one last thing is um where do you think the breakfast came from you remember they cooked breakfast i i i I get it i i know i know it's 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 uh it's jesus and he could you know like the bible seems to suggest that he's God and so he could do anything he could he raised Lazarus from the grave and he quieted a storm and he fed 5,000 surely he could snap his fingers and just turn on a fire (laughs) and have warm fresh loaves of bread ready and 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 nice perfectly sous vide fish (laughs) available for the for the guys because they're tired and they're hungry they're hangry coming off the beach i mean you know surely he could have just done that but i just if if there's anything i've learned about jesus he just doesn't do things that way like i'm suspecting where the breakfast came from started like earlier that morning or maybe even the day before when jesus went out to the market and paid for some bread 
And the whole time he's like getting the bread, the loaves, and he's picking out the ones that he thinks might be perfect for the breakfast. He, he's just thinking like, I can't wait to see my friend. Like, I can't, I can't wait to see Peter. I have missed him so much. And then he gets up really early before the guys do. And he goes off to a different part of the beach so they can't see him. And he's out there fishing himself. And he catches his own fish. And the whole time he's doing it, the hour or so he's out there catching fish. He's just thinking, like, I can't wait to see him. And he sees his friends still struggling because they're not catching any fish. But he, and he's just like, man, I, I can't wait to invite them back out of what they've settled for. I can't, I just, I've missed them. I've missed him. And then he like makes the fire and he, he cooks the fish and he gets, gets everything just perfect. You know, he sets the table and then he goes out to call his friends. And at that point, I, I can't imagine, I just gotta, I gotta believe he's just like giddy. You know, he's like, he just can't wait to see the look on their face when it dawns on them, you know, all the stuff that he's prepared for them. And I, and I think the same goes with us. Like I, like even in this moment, but it's like the things that he's prepared for you and I to like the way he set up circumstances and got us by ourselves in those moments where we're lonely and no one ever calls back. And those situations that look like they're disappointing or look like a setback or whatever it might be like those, those things that we feel like we're, we're no longer eligible or we return to what's comfortable. Like, I feel like he's just, he's just working in the background setting everything up and the whole all he's thinking about is i can't wait to see you again like i i know i know exactly how this is going to end it's going to be so good i can't wait to have breakfast with you again that's all i've ever wanted i I think that sounds like god i think that sounds like good news i think that's grace i think that's why they call grace amazing It's not about the chicken. And we are talking to a God that has set the table for us. And there is room for us there. He's expecting you. May you experience this grace.